so I looked at a handful of churches around me, really within a five-mile radius, and at least five of them had pastors who were women. Three churches had female senior pastors, and two others certainly had women who were on staff as discipleship pastors or pastors to seniors or other sorts of things like that. And I recognized that, okay, we have a different perspective on the office of pastor, and that seems strange given that the doctrine of the denomination as a whole clearly enunciates that the office of pastor is reserved for men as qualified by Scripture. Welcome to Christ Overall, a podcast dedicated to seeing Christ as Lord and everything else under His feet. My name is David Schrock, and today I'm sitting down with Mike Law, pastor of Arlington Baptist Church in Arlington, Virginia, and we're going to have a conversation about things going on in the Southern Baptist Convention. Over the last month, in the month of March, we have been considering the way in which the egalitarian beach ball is a wrecking ball to the house of God. We've had conversations with Jonathan Lehman and Colin Smothers and written articles about that subject. If you're unfamiliar with what is going on in the Southern Baptist Convention, I would encourage you to go back to the first article, the one about the egalitarian beach ball, and certainly to consider what is taking place in the SBC and an amendment that is going to be brought forward to the Southern Baptist Convention in New Orleans about women serving as pastors in the Southern Baptist Convention. And today we're going to sit down with Mike Law, the author of that amendment, and to talk a little bit about that. Mike, thanks for coming on the podcast, brother. I think thank you for having me. Amen. Amen. We certainly pulled you out to be able to talk in front of the mic in ways that uh, may or may not be always that comfortable, but we're glad you're here and uh, certainly want to ask some questions and think through some of these things. And maybe just to begin with, tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe even how you got to the church you're at and how we got to this conversation today. Sure. Yeah. I was on staff at Capitol Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. as an intern and then a pastoral assistant there, sent out to help revitalize a church, and that led to church planting there in Arlington. We planted in the summer of 2009, about June 2009, and we went on for about five years as a Southern Baptist church plant. During that time, we were praying that the Lord would be pleased to establish us permanently in Arlington. And by that, we desired to have a church building where we could be there faithfully and ministering for decades to come. We eventually entered into conversations with another local Southern Baptist church, or the Arlington Baptist Church there. And the saints there invited us to come into the membership of that church and to begin ministering there. They were kind of 13 to 15 older saints who were kind of struggling along and trying to decide what to do with their building. And in God's kindness, they invited us in and we united together as a single church. And the Lord's been pleased to bless that union these last several years. So uh, we officially moved into that building, I think, in July of 2014. So been there since July of 2014, just trying to preach the word and shepherd the saints and pray for the Lord to to work. Amen. Yeah, so I moved to Northern Virginia in 2015 and uh, started going to gathering pastors there in Washington, D.C. I think we got to know one another through that and have certainly been in conversation over these last few years. And it certainly hasn't always been a conversation in front of us today. Mostly it's how we can encourage one another and pray for one another in local churches and to see the gospel go forward in our churches and the churches around us. And maybe that even just kind of sets up even how you got to the conversation we're having today, thinking about this amendment 
moment and why this was not just a across the country shot at someone like Rick Warren, who's kind of been maybe most famously in front of this conversation today, but there are some things going on locally in Northern Virginia and around your church that led to kind of what we're looking at. Maybe just fill in the details there. Sure. I have been taught and encouraged to care about other local churches to not only meet with pastors from local churches in your area to find out ways to pray for them, but then also to pray for them publicly in your services. So during my pastoral prayer, uh, every Lord's Day, I will pray for another local church, praying that the Lord be pleased to bless their ministry, uh, that it would be fruitful for his kingdom and bring him honor and glory. So I prayed for another local church this past Lord's Day. As I thought about praying for particularly Southern Baptist churches right around me, I began to realize that there were things that we had significant differences on. So I looked at a handful of churches around me, really within a five-mile radius, and at least five of them had pastors who were women. Three churches had female senior pastors, and two others certainly had women who were on staff as kind of discipleship pastors or pastors to seniors or or other sorts of things like that, worship pastors or or administrative. I can't remember Mm -hmm. the precise titles right now. And I recognize that, okay, we have a, a different perspective on the office of pastor. And that seems strange given that the doctrine of the denomination as a whole clearly enunciates that the office of pastor is reserved for men as qualified by scripture. So I began to ask questions. I, I, I brought this up with some friends, you know, what should I do? How should I engage these churches? Some friends recommended that I mention that to the credentials committee as them being out of step with the doctrine of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, which I wanted to do, but I decided to, before I do that, let me just reach out to the credentials committee and make sure I understand actually the constitution correctly. Would this be something in which a church is not acting in friendly cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention? Does, is this something that puts them out of step uh, with the Baptist faith and message 2000? And so that's how I kind of got into the process that began kind of the long road of the process, so to speak. Yeah. And on your website that maybe came along somewhere in the process, wasn't something that you were starting out with lists that just some of the, the timeline that is there. And I think it's important for some who we've had conversations about this and thinking about the fact that it wasn't as though that you were immediately looking to go to the Southern Baptist Convention to present an amendment. It wasn't as though you were immediately trying to, you know, have a website or to bring anything on a national level, but just trying to be faithful in your local church and faithful in your local area that is there. So Mike, maybe just help us to kind of see some of the steps that took place to get from that original conversation to that amendment. Yeah. One of the other concerns I had as I thought about, you know, praying for churches in the area too was, I don't know about your church here at Occoquan, but in my church family in Arlington, it's often our experience that people come to our church having found us on the web. And many people are thinking about returning to the faith. Mm -hmm. Uh, Many coming to, to explore the Christian faith for the first time, praise the Lord, but also some thinking about, you know, I've been wandering from the Lord for quite some time. I knew that I I went to a Southern Baptist church. My parents took me to a Southern Baptist church growing up, and I knew that they preached the Bible and talked about Jesus, and and I need to hear that message. So as I began to to think about these many people who have come to us over the years and who find us in that way, thinking of searching for a Southern Baptist church in our area and in in a five-mile radius of of our congregation, Arlington Baptist Church, they would find churches who are clearly out of step with the Scripture's teaching on who holds the office of pastor. So that that concerned me, and that was also part of my motivation to reach out to the Credentials Committee. So I, I reached out asking, principally, is this something that puts the Baptist faith and message out of step with the Southern Baptist Convention? 
I didn't receive a satisfying reply was my perspective on it. And I've provided some of, of that correspondence there on the website. Folks can look at it, click on the links and download and read it. So I decided to go ahead and take the next step of reaching out to those congregations. So I wrote to them individually first saying, hey, I think your practice is out of step with the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 and the Constitution. I intend to bring this up with the Credentials Committee unless I've misunderstood something. Uh, those churches got back to me in a variety of ways, some very displeased. <laughs> but I eventually ended up reporting those churches to the Southern Baptist Convention Credentials Committee. And I decided, as I, as I looked on the Credentials Committee website, a number of things that they took into account were not only the, the Constitution of the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, but also the resolutions, the past resolutions of the convention itself. And so what I, I did initially was to write a resolution on the subject of disfellowshipping churches who had women pastors, female pastors. And so I submitted that resolution to the convention, and it was received, and it began that process. I had a conversation with a veteran Southern Baptist who I shared that resolution with, who told me that it's almost certain to be declined, and that actually what I really needed to do was to offer a constitutional amendment. And so I began to think through that process with him. Yeah. To go back to something you said a moment ago, I think it's important to realize that the website is one of the key ways that people find churches today, right? And so the Southern Baptist website in particular, it lists all those churches that are there. And you would think, and we would hope that if someone finds a church, that they would find one of like faith and practice that is preaching the gospel. What we know going back to, you know, the conservative resurgence is that many of the churches that were permitting women to be pastors were also denying the inerrancy of scripture, were twisting scripture in some ways that then begins to lead to questions about the gospel, right? And so certainly in Virginia, we have two state conventions, one of those being the more conservative Bible-believing, the other being more moderate to, to liberal that is there. I think some of those churches are there, but the fact that they're listed on that website is directing people to churches that we would have, I think, questions about whether or not they're going to hear the word of God. They're going to hear scripture. They're going to hear the gospel that is there. And so there's an evangelistic thrust that is there and a care and a desire for that. I don't know about you at your church, but certainly at our church, most of the people who find our church, we live in a very transient area, right? Most of the people who find our church do so uh, in addition to people inviting people also just going on the website. Yeah. And so it's such an important piece that we would say, okay, who is stewarding, who is shepherding that website really, really matters. And I think that's one of the things that you saw even before getting to the amendment, like the website that the SBC is using is a platform by which they're communicating that these churches are in friendly cooperation, that they are, you know, faithful Baptist faith and message churches. But we're finding that maybe that's not exactly the case. Yes. There is language at the bottom of the website that would carefully qualify sure. by saying something to the effect of simply because churches are listed here doesn't mean they are in friendly cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention. That qualifier is important. However, I'm almost certain that it's pretty much lost on everyone using the website, given that at the upper, maybe it's the left-hand corner of the churches.sbc.net website says, you know, SBC churches. And I think that people coming to that website are naturally going to think that when they're searching for a church to attend mm -hmm. for Lord's Day worship, that they're searching for a Southern Baptist church. Mm -hmm. I think that's the primary reason they, they came there. Yeah, so I think to see that there's a motivation there that we want what's best for churches. You want what's best for churches. You're praying for local churches and for people to come to know the gospel and to be under churches that are ordering themselves according to the word of God. 
And then that does lead to what's the process by which something can be done. You receive counsel to not pursue a resolution, but an amendment. And so certainly in Anaheim presented that and engaged with the executive committee. And let me just walk us from Anaheim to, to February, where you were in Nashville to talk through some of those things. Sure. So I actually did, you know, kind of let the resolution go through the process. It turns out that it was declined. And uh, I found out that I think it was on Monday night that I found that out. And I went and I sat down with uh, that veteran Southern Baptist friend uh, who encouraged me to to think through the amendment. We, we wrestled through that idea and some of the language. And I, I went back and I crafted it. I asked a parliamentarian if if I made this motion, would it be a motion that's in order? So I did that that Monday night as well. I, and then I submitted it, filed it. Uh, you can e-file your, your motions. So I uh, e-filed it. And then I went and I stood at the, the microphone on, on Tuesday morning when the introduction for new motions was to take place. And when it came to be my turn to make that motion, I, I made the motion. The process is from there that um, typically motions that touch on the Constitution are going to be referred to the, the Executive Committee of the Southern Baptist Convention. So it was in that meeting referred to the Executive Committee of the Southern Baptist Convention, just as kind of expected. And then that summer then, so that was in, in Anaheim, uh, that summer then I began to think about uh, how can I persuade the executive committee that this is important and urgent for our, our convention to adopt. And as I thought about it, I thought I'd, uh, I'd write a letter trying to explain my reasoning for why I thought this was necessary. So I wrote a roughly two-page letter, and then I showed it around to some pastor friends, and I asked them for some input on it, got some edits, and then kind of got it to a final form and started to ask brothers in the Lord to sign on to that letter. So I started asking in a close circle and then a wider circle and then a, a wider circle still till I tried to ask almost everybody I could think of. It was yeah. a Southern Baptist pastor to mm-hmm. uh, sign the letter. In September, the executive committee meets and they kind of set their focus for the year, you know, coming out of the convention, what are the things they need to tackle and take on and put on a schedule. So they let me know after that September meeting that my item of business would be scheduled for the the February meeting in Nashville in 2023. During that time, they would set up a a meeting. So I had a Zoom meeting with some executive committee staff members and subcommittee chairman to talk about kind of the process and what would develop. So we had that conversation in November. More pastors are, by God's grace, signing on to the letter during that time. And I was told that in February, there, there would probably be a motion made concerning the amendment that I had offered so that the executive committee would decide what to do with it there in February. So I could come to the February meeting. They would invite me to come to the February meeting and I could share my heart on the matter, on the, on the issue itself. So I went ahead and made plans uh, to do that, to turn up there in uh, February to share uh, why I thought this was important for our convention to adopt. And that kind of turned up in Nashville. Yeah. And so that letter is important as well, right? Because it garnered some 2000 signatures along the way and and really led to finding out that what was local to you was not just local, showed up in a number of places like Texas and other places as well. And many of the emails that you sent out, other churches and other pastors were kind of self-reporting the fact that they were a female pastor or they had a female pastor on staff. So it wasn't as though you were going out in search of trying to figure out all these people are. You're not trying to police the SBC as much as to say that as you're encouraging people towards this amendment, you found out a few things along the way. Do you want to talk about that a bit? Sure. Uh, I received lots of emails <laughs> in response to my 
emails, and understandably so. Mm-hmm. This is a subject that is concerning to, to many for and against. Uh, a number of churches did tell me that they had uh, women serving on staff as pastors. I, I did do some looking, mm-hmm. so I knew that in my particular area, I have a somewhat moderate to liberal local association. So I, I, I did look around my local association. I knew that in my I'm not going to say state because we're in the Commonwealth of Virginia. In my (laughs) Commonwealth, I did know that there is a more moderate to liberal state convention, Commonwealth convention. Mm -hmm. And so I I did some very scant looking around that as well. But not only did I receive feedback from people who received a letter Mm -hmm. saying we actually do have women on staff at our church, but also some friends also let me know, hey, I have churches near me in my area. Here's this one, this one, and this one. Mm -hmm. Here's this one, this one, and this one. So the information was kind of just coming into me in a large way. Yeah. And I think even since then, I mean, along that process, the statements that have come out from Saddleback, the things going on with Rick Warren have taken place, right? Even the video from Andy Wood and kind of defining and understanding why they have, you know, ordination of women that were there. I mean, we've seen other churches, significant churches in the SBC in Nashville ordaining females, right? We've seen others who have, you know, women on staff and maybe the title is minister, but then you look at the job description, you look at the qualifications and it goes to Titus 1, it goes to 1 Timothy 3. And so just the more as we've talked through this, and we've been in conversation about this, you know, close to a year, there's more here. And it wasn't as though you were setting out to find all these things, but along the way it's been found. And really maybe just to share, Mike, what's your heartbeat behind this? Why does this matter? So, you know, we're kind of going through some of the history here, but it gets to like, okay, is this really that big a deal? I hear Rick Warren on his podcast with Russell Moore saying that this is a, a second tier issue. It doesn't matter that much. And maybe we can talk about theological triage, but why does this matter? It matters because faithfulness to God's word matters. And the integrity of his church matters. Uh, The Lord Jesus gave his life for his people. He shed his blood for us. And then he gave us uh, his apostles who who gave us his written revelation as a wonderful gift to us. And he means for us to obey him and to love him and to serve him Mm -hmm. with joy and delight, recognizing that his ways are best. So that's why it matters. First, for the glory of the Lord Jesus. Mm -hmm. And in our obedience to his word, we show that he's worthy of all possible Mm -hmm. honor, confidence and love. And it matters too for our cooperation as a convention. There's trust that's built into our convention and our cooperation. So it it matters. Our our agreement on this issue matters. When we're collecting messengers together, we're going to have a a body of people who are from a like faith and practice. We're going to think carefully and deliberately on things, but we we know that we're coming from the same standard of standing upon God's words together. Mm -hmm. It it matters for our missions in that we're going to be planting uh, the, the same kinds of churches with a like faith and practice. It matters for our trustees that we're drawing from a pool of people who agree on the same matters of like faith and practice. It matters for our trust with one another that we're cooperating in those ways together. Yeah. Yeah. And certainly just the integrity of holding fast to the Baptist faith and message, certainly our authority of scripture, right? We're coming back to that, but we believe that the Baptist faith and message is an accurate portrayal of what scripture teaches, right? And and in that, it's certainly to be able to say, this is how we can know that we are able to walk together in trust and in harmony with one another. So 
question for you. There are some who have said that, you know, this should be a matter of indifference. Again, going back to Rick Warren, right? So he uses the second tier language and says that this is not something that should be dividing us. He missteps there because second tier, at least according to the triage that you know, Dr. Moeller has used in different places, that is the very thing that decides the difference between one church and another. Does not divide between believer and unbeliever, but it's not a third tier issue, which might be of indifference or debate in and among a local church, but really the Baptist faith, the message does give practices that make us distinct from a Presbyterian church or other churches as well. So the question has come like, okay, how do we compare this to something like the Lord's table and thinking through why is this something that we should, you know, really be unifying on when there may not be exact agreement on how the ordinance of the Lord's table is practiced? Yeah, that's a good question that a lot of people are, are thinking through. I, I think if you look back to the revisions of the Constitution, you will notice that they are addressing particularly important matters at moments in time. So if you look back at the issue of adding the language concerning homosexuality there in Article 3, that's a big issue emerging there in that point in time. And then when you add the issues of racism and abuse, those are actually, interestingly enough, in many ways tied to pastoral qualifications mm-hmm. in our recent conversations too. So this seems to be yet another step, I think, perhaps in our consideration of, of important issues in this moment for us as a convention to address and for our unity moving forward. Yeah, I think timing is important. It was interesting listening to, to Nathan Finn and Nate Aiken talk about some of these same matters. And one of the things that Nathan Finn talks about is the fact that when the issue of homosexuality was added to the Constitution, that there were churches that self-selected themselves out. Right. And even just the history with the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, we see churches that when the Baptist faith and message was updated in 2000, otherwise a new convention was formed with more moderate and liberal positions. Right. And even in our state of Virginia, we see that, that some are CBF and SBC duly aligned that is there. And so I think it's important to see that today it seems that many churches are not self-selecting their way out, Mm -hmm. but rather, and maybe this is just part of our cultural moment where, you know, you do you, you know, everybody has their own truth. So we're defining complementarianism, but we're doing so in a more functional, egalitarian way. They may not like that language, but it seems to be what is happening is they're making space for women to be teaching the gathered body or to make space for women to be pastors because this only relates to senior pastors. So there's certainly debate along these lines. And what we're seeing is that instead of people self-selecting to say, no, this is actually the convictions that we have about this practice in the church, they are remaining in there. And we see that even with someone like Rick Warren, who has told us that he is going to come back to the Southern Baptist Convention this summer. And as he is, he's going to make an appeal to be remained in the Southern Baptist Convention. So thinking about all of that, maybe even thinking about this idea of Rick Warren making an appeal, if he is brought back into the convention, what does that do to the SBC? I think that that tears the tent of our cooperation. So as a Southern Baptist Convention, we want to be a big tent denomination, and rightly so. And in fact, one of the paragraphs that I I wrote in the letter talked about how there's going to be differences of practice among us in Mm -hmm. uh, the Southern Baptist Convention. But the welcoming and the firming of women as pastors in the convention actually tears the fabric of the tent of our cooperation. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a, a dangerous thing for us to do. Yeah, I mean, even thinking about this, you know, you almost have to give an apology letter to the CBF churches that had to leave the denomination because of the fact that they had female pastors. Now there's almost, if that happens, if Saddleback is brought back in, then there's an open invitation for other churches who have female pastors to do the same thing. And that seems to be, instead of big tent and great unity, it's actually big tent with a hole in the middle of it that is going to have all kinds of greater divisions going forward. I think that's true. 
Yeah, I think that's true. So you're getting at this, but maybe just to kind of double click on this, what is at stake this summer, right? As people are coming to the SBC, what do they need to be thinking about? What do they need to be equipping themselves with? What are some of the things that they should know? They should know their God. They should know their Bibles. They should know that God gave them their Bibles to follow and to obey joyfully and delightfully. We should know that our God is eager to hear our prayers. And so we should be praying for our convention to be united in his truth Mm -hmm. and delighting in his truth. We should know that we have brothers and sisters in the Lord who love him and long to serve him and that we want to believe the best about them. And we want to have open and honest and forthright dialogue with them about the truth of the scriptures and what it says concerning men and women in God's household. We should know that our God is sovereign and on the throne. He's not concerned about the state of his kingdom. It's quite under control. The Lord Jesus is reigning over all, and he will reign in New Orleans as well, and we can trust him whatever happens there. So we should come with joy and delight, with love for our brothers and sisters in the Lord, be honest about where we think the scriptures stand, and try to stand there with the scriptures. Yeah, amen. Thinking through those things, Mike, and just being aware of this conversation and certainly what's going on the SBC, there is a website that you put together, sbcamendment.org. Tell us a little bit more about that website. Sure. That website contains a timeline of events, so you can just see how I have developed in my thought, and this amendment has followed kind of the progression throughout the time. There is also a section does have churches who seem to be out of step with the convention. So I think on a page called Nashville, we have a problem. There's a document that has uh, screenshots and links and whatnot of churches who have women serving on staff as pastors. I think there's something like 170 of them. I thought that was important to put up there because back in 2000, I think it was Adrian Rogers who cited a Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary study of, of the whole convention who said there's, there's maybe between 50 and 75 churches with female pastors. And as that document shows, there's 170 today. (laughs) And that was not done by any formal kind of study. So I think from my vantage point, things have have not improved, but they have have gotten worse. We're straying Mm -hmm. from, I think, our, our doctrine. Uh, There's also some other resources up there. There's a a paper that uh, I supplied to the executive committee that when I I presented them, I tried to give them some material in advance that has some historical quotations that Mm -hmm. announces the doctrine of our convention. So what what we're asking for is not actually anything new. It's old and wonderful. It's Mm -hmm. just to maintain and hold our doctrine concerning the household of God. So that's what that website is trying to do. Yeah, and I think that's an important thing is we just kind of close in on the amendment itself. It's not trying to add something new to the Constitution. It's trying to bring the Constitution in line with the Baptist faith and message, right? So Baptist faith and message was updated in 2000, and it was at the end of the conservative surgence, which was going on for, for two decades by that point. And certainly it was reclaiming the Word of God. It was reclaiming, you know, roles in the church. It was reclaiming even the priesthood of believers, right? Not the priesthood of believer. I mean, that was certainly mm-hmm. one of the things that the 1963, Baptist faith message changed the language so that it was really kind of a authority under everyone's own hat and everything else like that. And so certainly the hard work was done 20 years ago. Now it's really the simpler work of just saying, how do we maintain the doctrinal statements that we have and we hold? 
And I think that's maybe just one other thing to just kind of, as we kind of bring to, to a close, thinking through, you know, how do we closely identify with the Baptist faith message? And that's certainly another conversation that's been taking place of those who even defining that. And, you know, if there was to be a sense in which, okay, this amendment is, is not received, it is not voted on, but we can have a, a study group on what it means to closely identify together. Would that be good? Or is there something that is missing in that step? I think that that would probably be a little bit of a loss. It would be fine for us to think through what does it mean to closely identify. Mm -hmm. But whatever closely identify means, it can't mean living in obvious contradiction to the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, let alone the scriptures. So whatever closely identifies means, it can't mean living in violation or contradictory to our stated faith and practice. Yeah, Again, I just think about the timing of all of this, right? You think about the the necessity of clarifying language of racism, clarifying language of sex abuse, clarifying today specifics with men and women. I mean, that's one of the things we focused on at Christ Overall in the month of March <laughs> was to say that the questions of egalitarianism in the 1980s were very exegetical and functional. Today, it's ontological, right? I mean, the erasure of men and women is taking place in our culture in a great way. And to kind of open the door and say, you know, it really doesn't matter what the scriptures say about this is one more way that we're just going along with culture And I certainly know that when we were in Nashville, that was one of the main things that was being said is that, you know, the world is watching, the world is watching. Mm. As if to say that one of the greatest arguments for how we decide what we're doing in SBC is what the world thinks of us. Mm. And that James tells us clearly that friendship with the world is to be an enemy with God, right? And I think, you know, we need to come back to the point you made just a moment ago. What does the scripture say? Is the scripture good? If the scripture is good and we love God and we love God by obeying his word, then we need to see that our ecclesiology is not something that is indifferential, right? It is not something that we just think through, okay, we have the gospel and now what is the most pragmatic way to get the gospel out? Oh, well, women are gifted to teach and we would affirm that women are gifted to teach. But in the household of God, there is an order and a structure there that mirrors creation, that mirrors manhood and womanhood in the home, that that household is applied to local church. Those are things we've been thinking about throughout the month. And so just coming back to the scripture and say, what does the scripture say? What does it mean for us to, to do what it does? And then to have courage to do that when perhaps the world won't understand or the world won't celebrate that with us. Yeah, let's not pretend to be wiser than God. He knows what's best. He knows what's best for his church. He knows what's best for the the sake of his kingdom and getting the good news out. Uh, So we should trust him happily, joyfully. Yeah, but I think it's a good word to close on. And just as we think about coming to New Orleans, Lord willing, in June, to trust the Lord, to pray, to lean into his word, to stand on the word of God, and to, to courageously speak to and speak from the word of God. Mike, to those things... Would you pray for us and would you pray for those messengers who are coming to New Orleans and for the time that we'll have together there? Sure, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your grace towards sinners like us, that Christ should love us and lay down his life for us and be lifted up from the grave for his honor and glory, but also for our good, our eternal good and salvation. Father, we pray and ask that you would day by day help each one of us to hold on to Christ and give thanks for his mercy and grace toward us. Father, we pray and ask too that you would give us grateful and thankful hearts that you have been so pleased to use the Southern Baptist Convention in wonderful ways to take your gospel to the far reaches of the corners of this earth. We pray that more of the nations would be glad in Christ because of the faithful work of the Southern Baptist Convention. And Father, we pray for the messengers who are gathering in New Orleans. Father, we pray that you give each one of them safe travels, 
Father, we pray and ask that while we're there, that you would give us a spirit of unity and joy and hope and confidence in you. Father, we pray and ask that our cooperation would be furthered, that our love would be furthered, and that our confidence in your word would be strengthened. Father, we ask that you would give us the courage to stand and a joy in standing where you stand. Father, remind us that standing upon your word is the only place that is safe and that standing anywhere else we will sink. Father, remind us that Christ reigns on the throne and will care for his people and our convention. And we pray and ask that he would be glorified in it. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. And friends, thank you for listening to the podcast today. As Mike prayed, I would invite all of you to pray for the Southern Baptist Convention that will meet this June in New Orleans. If you are a Southern Baptist pastor, please come and vote for this amendment. Tell others about it and what is at stake. If you want to know more about the amendment, you can go to sbcamendment.org, and there you'll find the pertinent backstory to this amendment, what the amendment is, and why it is so vital for the health and unity of the denomination this summer. Additionally, you can check out the show notes from this podcast to see other relevant articles, many of which are found at christoverall.com. We have spent the month of March looking at this subject, and we trust that you will find biblical, theological, and practical articles on the website as why the egalitarian beach ball is a wrecking ball. But more than that, you'll also hear how this amendment puts into practice the convictions of biblical complementarians. At Christ Overall, we do not simply want to preach the truth, we want to practice the truth and to help churches to do the same. And so we offer these resources to help you do just that. If you'd like to know more about the resources offered at Christ Overall, we invite you to stop by the website, sign up for our newsletter, or drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you and how this ministry can serve you in the near and distant future. So signing off today, let us remember this steadfast truth, that Jesus Christ is Lord over all, including his church. And so in all things, let us exalt Christ.